Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. You are listening to episode 25 titled Gatekeepers of Grief Work. Okay, friends, this week it's personal. Okay, so it's personal every week, but this time it really hit home. My work in the grief field is based on advocacy and creating deeper grief literacy for all parties, grievers, grief supporters, and the people who don't know where they fall. We all know social media is a double-edged sword, and this week I was accused of gatekeeping grief itself. So I want to unpack this statement with you, discuss how advocacy and gatekeeping often look similar, and clarify how we are all gatekeepers in a helpful way when we effectively advocate for those who cannot advocate for themselves. First, let me give you some context. A beloved musician from my childhood suddenly passed away, and his death leaves a big hole in the world. Thousands of people on social media were mourning his loss, and I was one of them. A friend of mine in the psychology world shared a screenshot on Twitter of an offered response of platitudes to someone's grief around this loss. She did so with the intention of pointing out the harmful nature of grief platitudes, saying things like, uh, he wouldn't want you to be sad, thumbs up. And we all die. It's easier and more intelligent to just accept it as an inevitability instead of being upset. My gut reaction was like, okay, Thanos, if death is inevitable, should we just pretend it's no big deal? But I digress. Because as someone who also felt that same heaviness, I was curious if the original poster of the griefy feelings was offered a kind word in addition to such an ugly platitude. It turns out that post went viral, so of course they were. And honestly, I got really curious and actually found the original comment as well. I noticed that no one had offered a response to the platitudes, and I felt everything within me rise up. If you know me at all by now, you know I am on the side of grievers. I will defend their right to grieve and process and express themselves in whatever way looks right and feels right for them. Using social media to do so can get really squirrely, and this was a perfect example of that. I myself was irritated and responded a little quicker than I should have. All I said was, this is an absolutely awful response to grief. What I meant was, this is an awful response to offer unsolicited to someone's expression of grief. See the difference? What followed were hundreds of people liking my comment and appreciating that I spoke up, but it also brought this comment about gatekeeping. Someone responded that I was gatekeeping grief and had won the award on the internet or something like that for doing so. I was really confused because I don't need an accolade or the trophy they offered me. If I wanted one, I would be in a competitive field. Grief is not competitive. There are no competitions or comparisons here. It took me a moment to realize that the wording of my statement was unclear. Now, responding. Okay. I give myself about 30 seconds to draft responses in instances like this, but if I can't say kindly what I need to in that 30 seconds, I typically just don't reply. This wasn't an open door to have a conversation that is helpful. It wasn't an opportunity to correct myself or clarify and create a shared understanding. And there were already enough people jumping down this individual's throat, which is potentially why they joined Twitter in the first place. So I don't need to be a part of that. However, I definitely recognize where my statement could have been perceived as gatekeeping. 
especially when we frame gatekeeping as negative. And so because it started on Twitter, I went back to Twitter and asked the question, what is the difference between gatekeeping and advocacy? I received some great responses and some slightly confusing ones. I loved the acknowledgement of intersectionality because I think gatekeeping is nuanced and complex. I typically only hear it used as an accusation. The phrase is perceived as a means of controlling others and preventing them from inclusion in a community, in a mindset, or a belief system. Whatever you're hoping to protect. Advocacy is the idea of embracing all people on behalf of what they need and including them so they can receive what serves. And this is where we can start to talk about gatekeeping. And this is where we can see how gatekeeping is a positive. Right now, I see a lot of gatekeeping conversations online around purity culture and religious communities, and that's a really easy conversation to understand gatekeeping in the negative. There's been a severe harm caused, and the perpetrators of the harm are often self-protecting inside their communities or relying on others to do so for them. This is a toxic use of gatekeeping. This is the idea that protecting ourselves at all costs is the greatest good. That's not what I'm talking about here. In grief work, platitudes are easily accessible and far more harmful than we realize. And while grief is a collective experience, we experience it individually in such a unique way. And with that in mind, I often wonder if I have a right to say that platitudes aren't helpful. I think when I speak to that, I'm speaking to grief supporters. I don't want someone to walk up to me and tell me there's purpose in my pain and think that I'll be grateful to hear from them when really... I'm trying to control my face and mouth to keep from getting a little wild, you know? And yet, I know people who truly believe there is purpose in their pain, and they feel comfort from such a belief. So who am I to say that that platitude isn't meaningful? In this context, my role as an advocate means I must find a way to close the gate on platitudes in my own grief circle of influence. While that circle is open to whomever wants to come through it, There are guidelines and expectations about how we treat one another and how we speak to each other. In my private community, I'm absolutely going to gatekeep. Absolutely, I'm going to stick to my word to honor and educate and guide grievers in a way that is helpful and teach grief supporters what is helpful and what is harmful. I will gently correct misinformation and abusive language. I will retrain those of us who are used to platitudes as the best means of comfort. And when someone in a social setting acts in a way that causes harm to someone who is grieving, I will advocate on their behalf. Like I said, I could have clarified my thoughts on that conversation a little bit better, but I still wonder if they would have been accepted or had their mind changed anyway. Nuance is so hard to communicate online, as is tone. Maybe it would have been a waste of my words, but that's just it. Social media makes it very hard to remember where your lane is. Where do you carry influence? Where do you actually have the opportunity to intentionally and lovingly stand at the gate and protect those whom you've said you will protect? If your protection includes mitigating harm against them by causing harm towards others, then yes, your application of gatekeeping is harmful and unloving. But by incorporating the concept of advocacy alongside your active gatekeeping over your community, well, that's just leadership. We owe it to the people who follow us and trust us in relationship to create safe atmospheres for them to become vulnerable and to practice authenticity. No matter the common ground, we are pursuing something together and letting a fox in the hen house just means you'll have more feathers to clean up. Is that worth opening the gate to any and everybody? I think it truly depends on their intentions. 
maybe the fox has become a vegan, but just needs a little support keeping that lifestyle in line. It's entirely possible for people to have a change of heart and shift in their behavior and understanding. And that's why our communities exist, to teach and retrain when people are interested in learning. And humble leaders understand that. Going back to the original situation that started this whole conversation, my understanding of gatekeeping and advocacy are intertwined. Sometimes people don't need an advocate or don't want one, and that's okay. It's actually quite hard for some leaders to understand and accept that, and that's where gatekeeping becomes toxic and aggressive. We don't always want to be educated by someone we don't trust or feel that we need support from. In the context of my work in grief, I'm not going to sit back and tell someone their experiences are invalid. There are cultural differences at play that say how Americans grieve is bananas. And to be honest, I often agree with that perspective. But the point is, I'm not the ultimate authority on what grief looks like. No one is. So advocating looks like gatekeeping by being true to the people that have asked for my support and my help. That doesn't mean I have all the answers, nor do I have the best process to heal. It means I have a process to work through that brings healing to many. There will be people that never experience growth through my work, and that's okay. As long as I am in pursuit of wholeness, integration, and mitigating harm, then gatekeeping is protecting and honoring my own words. It is being authentic to who I said I am and what I said I would do. There will be times that I get it wrong or leave out an explanation like I did in that Twitter conversation. And those are moments I get to learn from. Luckily for you, I'm an external processor, so you'll get to witness many of my super exciting, humbling public experiences and conversations like this one. But how else do we learn? If all leaders kept their humiliating lessons behind closed doors or waited to share until they were polished and preachable with three bullet points, I don't think we'd get as much out of it. As leaders, we've chosen to be seen, and sometimes that will cost us our pride. Sometimes it will put us back on our heels, making us reevaluate if what we are doing is advocacy and healthy, helpful leadership, or if it is simply creating an outgroup in order to stay comfortable. Well, if there's one thing I can promise you, it's that I'm okay being uncomfortable if it means finding resolution and wholeness restored for myself or others. So in a weird way, I'm kind of grateful for the random Twitter human who decided to offer me this trophy. Hashtag thanks for that. Hmm. Maybe I should buy a trophy case for my office. (laughs) Maybe I just need to slow down when responding to strangers on Twitter. But either way, I am grateful for the opportunity to think through the way I show up to advocate for people who have not yet stepped into my circle of influence. I think we could all use a little bit of insight and reflection before speaking up on Twitter. But that's a completely different podcast episode. Thanks for listening to episode 25 of Restorative Grief. This week was a great chance for me to refine my communication skills and my ability to navigate loss publicly. I want to dedicate this episode to Taylor Hawkins, his beautiful family, and his best friends. His sudden death is one of those celebrity losses that I will think of and carry with me for a very long time. Not because I have an unhealthy attachment to a person I don't know, Not because I have an unhealthy attachment to someone I don't know, because this is a pretty normal reaction to death. Because when you have been influenced, inspired by, and carried through hard times by the work of another person, it's completely natural to be moved by their death as you were moved by their life. 
If you haven't yet, I would love for you to subscribe to this podcast, leave a review wherever you listen, and maybe share this episode with someone else who carries great emotional connection to someone in the public sphere that they have lost. We have to normalize grieving wherever it shows up if we ever expect ourselves to find healing in this life. One last thing, please remember the only solution for grief is to do the work of grieving. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.